0: Yeah, I wanted to share a message with you today entitled, The Source of the Nile. The Source of the Nile. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, I'm just going to read two scriptures and talk a little bit about the Nile River, talk a little bit about the power of God, talk a little bit about what the source is of God's power in our lives. We all know that God is powerful. We all know that God created the heavens and the earth. We all know that God is able to do miraculous things in and through our lives. But what is the source of actually seeing God's power released in our lives as individuals and in our, in our community as a church? And that's a little bit what I want to talk about today. But I'm going to read Job 26 verse 14 first. And I love this verse. Because Job is talking about God. He's talking about why calamity arrived in his life, why certain things went wrong in his life. And he's got some friends that sit around him and go, hey, maybe it's because you weren't committed enough. Maybe it's because you sinned too much. Maybe it's because you got a bad attitude. This is why bad things have happened in your life. And God shows up and God keeps, he he basically shuts them up. He says, stop talking. You don't know what you're talking about. This is not what is going on in the life." of Job. This is not why these things have happened. And he starts to ask Job the question, do you know my power? Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. Do you know uh, my sovereignty? Do you know that I am God? He, he says to Job, gird yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you some questions, and then you can answer me. Where were you when I created the world? Where were you when I put all things into motion? Where were you when, when I flung the stars into the sky? Where were you when, when, when I created the oceans? Where were you, Job? Essentially, what he's saying to Job is, who's God? Is it, is it me or is it you? And he then explains all of these things, chapters and chapters in the book of Job, about the power of God, and then says this in Job 26, 14, it says, Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. Just the outskirts. We, we're not even getting near the genuine, raw power of God. These are just the outskirts of his ways. And how small a wi- of a whisper do we hear of Him? All of these incredible things that God did, speaking creation into being, it's but the outskirts of His ways. It's a small whisper of His power. But the thunder of His power, who can understand? Who can genuinely grasp the power and the might of the God that we serve? We as, as humans, we do this uh, way too much. Uh, it, it's, it's inherent in us. We, we have no other way of doing it. We need God to help us because all of us think too small when it comes to God. All of us have an image or an idea or a perspective of God that is too limited and too small for what, who He truly is. Sometimes we're like, can God really do this? It's like he's, everything that exists, exists because He spoke it into being. How do you think He couldn't do certain things? There's nothing that's impossible to our God. And that's one that, that's actually a challenge to us oftentimes to really grasp. In Exodus 7:19, the Bible actually refers to the, the Nile River and the waters of Egypt many times. Um, but I, I want to look at this one specific verse, Exodus 7, verse 19. Um, so if you're in the book of Exodus, chapter number 7, verse 19, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt. Aaron was the first high priest of Israel, representing the priesthood and the law, and he stretches his hands out over the waters of Egypt and over their rivers and their canals and their ponds and all their pools of water so that they may become blood. We've seen Jesus do this again, turning water into wine. There's this theme that runs throughout the Bible where, where water turns to blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and in the vessels of stone. I'm going to pray for us a little bit this morning, and then we're going to talk about the source of the Nile and the source of God's power in our lives. Let's let's go ahead and pray together. Uh, Jesus, we thank you right now that you are the source of, of all things, that all things that exist today, all things that are created, were created by you and for you and are held together in you. We thank you, Lord God, that in you we also live and move and have our being. We're here today, God, because we're your creation, Father God, and not only have we been created, but we've been recreated in the image of Christ. We thank you for what you have done to save each of us. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for our righteousness. We thank you that we are children of God, and this morning we can just sit uh, in the presence of your Holy Spirit and have you speak to us, have you uh, encourage us, and have uh, uh, us just uh, fix our eyes on you to a greater measure. So we give you all the glory for this time this morning, Lord. We just humble ourselves before your word. And we're so grateful for your goodness. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Just turn to the person next to you and say, that was a good prayer. That was a good prayer. I like that one. So um, we live in a world where pretty much every single corner of our globe has been explored and, and photographed and discovered um, geographically and um, uh, just, just physically, there, there's very little um, mystery left in the world. There's very few areas that we, that we haven't been to or haven't visited or, or haven't heard about. Very few mysteries that remain around our physical and our natural world. And, and people have spent their lives exploring this vast planet that God has given us, this beautiful planet that God has created, from the being at the Arctic poles um, to the deepest jungles to every corner of every desert, um, for the most part, even though they are still very remote areas, but for the most part, uh, we have explored all of these areas in our world and mapped them out, and, and we know what we would find if we had to visit those areas. Especially now when we have drone technology and and we've got all kinds of satellites that can take photographs and can zoom in and can um, take these kinds of photos, Um, it's amazing to me that there are still some geographical mysteries in this world. It it actually just completely fascinates me that there's some things that we still just don't know. We're not 100% sure how they work or how they come about. And one of these mysteries that we still have here in 2016 in this day and age is that we're still not completely sure what the source of the Nile is. Can you think about it? the biggest river on earth and we're just not quite sure where it starts. We know that the, the Nile has, has two main tributaries, so that you have the White Nile um, that flows from somewhere in, in Rwanda and Burundi. They, they, that's, that's as, as, as Much as they've been able to figure it out is that it must be somewhere. The source must be somewhere within Rwanda, Burundi, that area. And uh, it might be multiple sources, but nobody's 100% sure exactly where it begins. It flows from there into Lake Victoria. And then from Lake Victoria, it flows out, obviously, all the way to Egypt through the Delta, where the Blue Nile that comes more from the east meets up with it at one point. And that's what we know. But we don't actually know what is the point, what is the source of the Nile River and this is something that has obviously, um, you know, the story of the, of the search of the source of the Nile Um, is one that involves many different expeditions, many explorers that have gone out from uh, the the 1700s trying to find the source of the Nile because if you were a scientist or an an explorer or or an expedition leader that was able to discover the source of the Nile, there would be a lot of fame in that for you. There would be a lot of wealth in that. You could go back and and say, and so uh, specifically European explorers from the, the 1800s have been going out, moving down, trying to trace the Nile and find the source of it without ever to this day being able to be completely sure where it begins. So we've had all these expeditions and all these, all these geologists and, and, and explorers, and every time they think they found it, every time they're like, okay, we got it, it's Lake Victoria, then somebody goes, oh, no, wait, it continues, it carries on, and it really does fan out uh, over a large area. So every time they think they found it, they, they realize, you know, it's, it, that's not the source, and so over the, the hundreds of years that we've been looking for it, there are multiple theories, multiple contradictions, uh, multiple stories and speculations about the Nile River. And this really is the, the mystery of the Nile. We all know it's an amazing river. We all know that it's a life-giving river. It flows through 11 countries as it makes its way from Egypt all the way down um, to Rwanda. And, um, and it brings life wherever it goes but we don't know where it originates. We don't know where it actually starts. And in the same way that men and women and explorers and expedition leaders have looked for the source of the Nile and have made so many speculations as to where it actually begins, in our Christian lives and in Christianity, there's been an equally speculative search, and that has been the search for the source of God's power in our lives. So many people have gone out to try and figure out exactly, just give us the formula, give us the, give us the root, give us the source, give us the point that we know this is how God's, God's power works in our lives. Now, what we do know is that God is powerful. We know that He is miraculous. We know that He does miraculous things. That's normal to God. He speaks things into being. He does things in our lives that we can't explain. He, he is able to turn situations around even when it, it looks like they, 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 they're lost. So we know that God is powerful, and wherever His power flows, there is life-giving power, there is liberty, there is freedom, there is restoration. But how do you release that power in your life? How do you find the source? And so people have gone on this search, just like they were searching for the Nile, to figure out what is the source of God's power, specifically in relation to us as individuals. If I can put it this way, how do we get God to move? How do we get God to answer prayer? How do we get God to do miraculous things on our behalf? How do we get Him to save and to heal and to deliver? There is so much speculation on this. So many people have written books. Oh, I've, I have found the source of the Nile. I know how you get God's, You just need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then you need to do this, and then without fail, it'll work, and then it doesn't always work. And they're like, right, okay, maybe I need to adjust my theory a little bit. Or somebody else comes along and goes, but why didn't it work in this situation? And they go, oh, no, okay, okay, well, okay, let's look further. And so there's this, and I've, I've seen it. I've been a part of it. I've, I've, I've heard, I've read the books. I've, I've listened to the messages. So many people are trying to, to find how, uh, or find the source of God's power. How do we get God to move in our lives? And I have been one of those explorers. I have been one, I've, been, I've been leading an expedition for years since I started ministry, since I started praying for people, since I, I took my first step as a 16-year-old to pray for a classroom full of, of, of school uh, uh, mates that I had. Um, as I, had, I, I wrote, I just felt at one point in my life I needed to, to just share more of the gospel. So I wrote a course at the age of 16 called Understanding Salvation. I don't even know if I understood the title, but it was what came to me at the time. And so I wrote this course called Understanding Salvation and went up in assembly and said to, to, uh, to just The pupils in my school, hey, if you want to know who God really is, if you want to know who the Holy Spirit is and how He works and and, and what this thing is all about, not what you've heard about from some traditional church, but if you really just want to know God, uh, come, we're going to do this Saturday, Sunday in this classroom at the school, got permission to run it at the school. And uh, I had, the first time I did it, I had 35 kids show up the, the first day on a Saturday for three or four hours. I just spoke about Jesus. I spoke about His power. I spoke about who He is. I spoke about the cross, why we need Him. And on the Sunday, another three or four hours, just talking about the Holy Spirit and, uh, and who He is, what are His gifts, what are the fruits of the Spirit, how does He work in our lives? And, and, and at that time, I taught all of that stuff. It took about three hours. I taught all of the stuff. And then I was going to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so I went outside. I said, hey, let's take a break. Then we'll take some time and we'll pray together. And, and as I went and I, I stood outside, I started praying because I wasn't convinced I had the source of, of how you actually get God to move. And so I thought, imagine I teach all of this stuff about how God moves, only to then pray for people and nothing happens, right? I was really worried. I was 16 years old. I stood outside and I said, Jesus, Jesus, you got to help me here. Because if, and then, and, then I, and then I played this card with God. I said, hey God, I just taught your word. So if this doesn't happen, they're not going to say Adrian is lying. They're going to say you're lying. So this is all be on you, God. I'm trying to like strong arm God into please just move. Please just don't let this not work. And I just wanted people to really experience the power of God. And um, I remember going in, I had a little hi-fi. I put it up on the top of a counter, and I pressed play on the CD that I had. And the song started playing called Spirit of the Living God. And the song started playing, and, and most of these, uh, these kids that were there that day um, had only heard about Jesus for the first time the day before. It's not as if they had been Christians for a long time. They had never encountered or experienced anything like this, even worship-wise. And so I went and I started to, to, I walked back into the room, I pressed play and this music started playing and I told everybody just to spread out in the classroom, It was quite a large classroom, I said, just spread out, just pray, just you stand with God alone and I'll come and I'll pray for you and, and as, I, as that music started to play, everybody in the room just started to cry. Like literally just, I, you felt God. It was tough to even pray for people because I was crying so much because God was just so present in that room and you could see people experience God. They were, that you could see them physically experience the presence of God in that moment. And I walked out of the classroom that day and I was like, this is all I wanna do for the rest of my life. That was the day I decided I wanted to be in full-time ministry. Up until that point, I was still deciding it was either going to be business or it was going to be ministry. Uh, My grandfather was a pastor, but my dad was a businessman, so I was was kind of caught between the two. And I walked out that day, and I said, that's all I want to do for the rest of my life. I want people to experience the power of God. But even standing there, now I'm going, okay, that was great. God moved, but how do I get Him to do it again? In other words, how do I tap into that same thing? So I quickly did a, oh, I, what did I do this time when God moved? Right, I said this prayer, I stood in this position, um, you know, I, this was my attitude, this was what was going on in my heart. Right, so maybe that's the source, and maybe I can replicate it. And every time I did that, it didn't necessarily work out the same way. I couldn't put a formula to it. So I still went on the search for the, the source of how do I just get God to move the way that I feel he, he, he should move. And um, I think it's important for me to share a little bit of my journey, especially in this regard, because it's too easy for people to look at me and to look at my age and to be fooled into thinking that I'm new to this game. Then when it comes to church, when it comes to the move of the Holy Spirit, that when it comes to the power of God, that I'm somehow inexperienced um, in this regard. And it really is not the case. So let me tell you a little bit more just about my journey and, and, and how God has revealed Himself to me. I've, I've really had, from a very young age, a very sincere relationship with God. I can't even remember the exact moment when that relationship began, but it has always been something that's been a part of my life. In fact, I remember one time lying in bed as, I don't even think I was in primary school yet, or I might have just been in primary school, and, and I lay in bed one night and I said to God, God, I, just, I feel like I'd like to have you come and lie in bed with me. Just you know, I just want to hang out with Jesus. I woke up in the middle of the night for some reason. I want to. I want Jesus to come and cuddle. And so I pray the prayer and I say, "Hey Jesus, will you just come and just lie here?" So I actually make room in the bed. Talk about faith. I make room. I had a single bed, but I made room. I'm like right on the edge. I'm like Jesus is going to get in at any point now. And uh, I'm actually doing this, actually physically, because for some reason I felt like I was going to feel Jesus's knee. So I'm like, "Where's your knee, Jesus? Where's it at?" And um, and so at that moment, uh, my little sister, who was very little at the time, she had never come to my bedroom, she had never gotten into bed with me, um, she had never asked if she could lie in my bed, and that night she comes in and she goes, Adrian, can I lie with you? And I'm thinking, it's inconvenient timing, you know, I don't know if there's space for three in this bed, I'm waiting for Jesus, I'm like, oh, okay, fine, um, so so she comes and she lies next to me, and, and exactly in that position that I was thinking in my mind that Jesus would, would would hold me she comes and she gets in and um, lies behind me and she holds me and in that moment even though I was only maybe seven years old at the time uh, God speaks to me and he says he says to me um, I sent your sister I couldn't come physically so I sent your sister but I've answered your prayer and I fell asleep feeling like I was I was being held by Jesus as I fell asleep I'm talking about a very young age and so I grew up um, in um, what was the tail end of the Pentecostal revival in South Africa. My, my grandfather was one of the district chairmen of the AFM church. I spoke at a men's conference yesterday, and there was one of the, the men that was there was actually in my grandfather's church and couldn't stop speaking about um, what it was like to, to be there and, and his ministry. And he knew the whole family. He knew the whole history. And, uh, and so I come out of that, that real legacy of the Pentecostal revival in South Africa. And just like when we do it, were doing baptize, uh, baptisms last, uh, last Sunday, I had my three little boys, I had to work hard to get them not to jump into the pool. Um, but they were hanging around, they were witnessing these things. In that same way, I grew up witnessing miracles, witnessing God working in the lives of people, witnessing people being healed and being touched by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I had this really intimate, really genuine relationship with God from a very young age. And um, when it came to even a relationship with the Holy Spirit and, and His, His power, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit before the age of seven, speaking in tongues before the age of seven. I remember walking in the line like how you, they make you line up at school, um, when you have to walk from class to class. And I would walk in those lines, and sometimes just to practice for fun, I would just be speaking in tongues while I do that. And so it's, it's just been very natural to me. It was never anything that was hard to grasp or hard to understand. From a young age, therefore, I've, I've seen God do many miraculous things. In my own private times of prayer, um, in my bedroom just praying, I felt God move and I felt I've encountered His Holy Spirit. I've prayed for people and seen God do miraculous things. Never according to plan, though. I always think that when I'm, when I'm feeling charged up, you know, some days you just feel more spiritual than other days. Some days you wake up and you're like, who needs prayer? Who needs prayer? Come to me real quick. I don't know how long this is going to last. Just come to me now. It's going to be answered. And, and, um, and, and, and normally when I felt that way, nothing happened. But when I was like, I don't even know if this is going to work. Let me just, this person needs prayer. Let me just pray for them. It would almost, I would be the most surprised person that God actually answered prayer. But I've seen God do those kinds of things. I've encountered that through the prayers, through the ministry, through the services. And so I've never struggled to believe that God could do any miraculous thing. You must know, if I pray for you, there is nothing in me that feels like God would, for some reason, not answer this prayer, because I I know His heart. I know who He is. And so I then started ministering around about that age of 16, 17 at my high school, um, experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and knew that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. And so um, when I was about, uh, I was very involved um, at, a, at a large Pentecostal church. I was assisting uh, the youth pastor, leading this youth, youth ministry of over a 1,000 kids. And uh, then at, it, at the age of 21, joined um, another church, Pentecostal church, and became the youth pastor at that church where I was the youth pastor for seven years. And this is really where I started to pursue the power of God. Now, I'm sharing the journey with you because like all of those other explorers and like all of those guys that were looking for the Nile, every single time I thought that I may have found the source of God's power, I realized it wasn't quite it. And so today, I actually want to share some of the stops that I went on and things that I thought, this is it. This is how you get God to move in your life, and it ended up not being the truth. It ended up not being the case. So I started to pursue the power of God. And and one of the biggest reasons I was pursuing it is because I saw how the pastors that God used or that were gifted by God were revered by everybody else. Come on, I was disappointed when I turned 19 and I hadn't raised someone from the dead. I was like, man, I've got to set my goals out a little bit further. I've got to delay them. But I was like, man, because I I wanted to just walk around raising people from the dead. This is what I thought was going to be the thing that was going to... Cause God to be known through my life is, is how miraculously God can use me to do all these kinds of things. And so I so desperately wanted to be affirmed in my own faith. I so desperately wanted to be known by others. Oh, that one's anointed. That guy, you know, when, when he speaks or when he prays, this, this happens. And, and I wanted that same reverence that I saw uh, people gave towards other pastors who seemed to operate powerfully in the, by the power of God. And, and, uh, and so I, I felt like if I could discover the secret, the source of God's power. I would finally be approved. My ministry would finally get the stamp of God's approval. And I would hear people say things like, that guy is so anointed. I wanted that. I craved it. I craved that affirmation. And so my search started, and and, uh, like many of the explorers that went out to find the source of the Nile, I nearly killed myself looking for it. I I nearly killed myself physically. I burnt myself out trying to do everything I thought I was supposed to do in order to get God to move in my life. I wanted to find the source. I wanted the map. I wanted the, the key. I wanted the formula to God's power. And so this search took me to a few places, which at first I thought this must be the source, only to find out later, no, it's not, it's not quite the source. And So let me share uh, maybe three of those stops that I went on. The first stop, as I was trying to find the source of the Nile, was personal godliness, personal godliness. I thought to myself, if I could just live a godly life, if I could just live in absolute purity and with discipline and, and, and remove every trace of sinfulness or, or doubt or fear or insecurity or, or pride or righteousness from my life, then surely I would be this unclogged, this unblocked channel through which the power of God can flow. So I went on this this major expedition to try and clean my life out and stay away from anything that would prevent God from moving in my life. But the problem is, and as a pastor, I can tell you this is the case for all pastors, we're imperfect. We sometimes have impure thoughts. We sometimes struggle with greed. We sometimes struggle with self-righteousness. And so every time I I had an impure thought or every time I swore at a taxi in traffic or every time I had an argument with somebody, I felt, oh my gosh, I've blown it. Now God's power won't be able to flow as powerfully through my life as it would have. Man, it put me on a seesaw of, of confidence and insecurity. Confidence if I think I've had a great week. And insecurity if I feel like, oh, I know I didn't have the best week. Have you ever felt that way? Like, people come to you for help. They're like, I know that you're a Christian. Will you just pray with me? And then you're like, if you had come last week, you know, I had a great week last week. This week, I don't even know if God still knows my name, man. I've had such a rough week. And that was the problem with it. It never gave us confidence to genuinely know the power of God. I remember hearing the story, and I don't believe this is true, I I honestly don't believe this is true, but I remember hearing the story of a pastor who was at a wedding and uh, and had a glass of wine, and and after having a glass of wine, apparently somebody at the wedding had a heart attack, and he prayed for him, and, and apparently the person wasn't healed, and he said, it's because I had the glass of wine. As if God would be that fickle to let people die because you had a glass of wine. I'm speaking a little bit straight this morning, so forgive me, it's not always this hectic. But I've heard these stories, and so I thought, oh my gosh, if I've done something that perhaps God doesn't approve of, and half the time I was even unsure, is that, was that right or wasn't it right, it would just erode my confidence before God completely. And so I would get up to preach, I preached uh, as I led that youth ministry, I preached every Friday night, and I remember get up while the band is doing the last song, I would stand in the corner, and I prayed this prayer so many times, I said, God, I don't deserve for you to use me tonight. You know, I, 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 I read my Bible three times, I prayed for so many hours, but I didn't, I could have done it five times, and I could have done it more hours, and I, and I could have been more faithful, and I, I shouldn't have done that, and I shouldn't have said that. So, yeah, I know, I know, God. I know that you want to use me tonight, but I don't really know if you can, because I've blocked your flow. And so, I would go, but God, I know you love these people. This was like my only solace. I know you, you love these people and you want them to receive the word. So for their sake, not for me, God, but for their sake, like just please still use me. So insecure about the power of God. That was my first stop. Maybe if I can just be really godly, just live this personal, you know, holy, pure life, then God can move. And it wasn't the source. It wasn't true. My second stop then was godly principles, godly principles. You know, there's a way of reading the Scriptures where you can extract principles from the Bible, but at the same time remove Jesus from the equation. There's a way that you can, can and, and, and the word of faith people have been Guilty of this to a large extent. you just got to find your Scripture, extract the principle, hold on to the principle. But the principle has no power if it's not connected to the person of Jesus. It's not, we, we don't operate by principles. That's the law. We don't operate just by godly principles. We operate by the power of a person who is present in our lives, and His name is Jesus but i thought if i can if i can discover every godly principle for every single area so if i need healing i need to find the principle if i need if i need financial breakthrough i need the principle if i need to to grow in my spiritual life i need the principle if i want a better marriage i need the principles and you start living according to these principles thinking that they are the source of god's power in your life and they are not we develop formulas Just like I try to after that first time when God used me powerfully that day when I was praying for the kids in my high school. And I was like, okay, let me try and... This is where the speculation begins. What did I do that time? So when we're not experiencing the power of God in our church, we're like, but what did they do in 1854? What did Smith Wigglesworth do? What did this person do? What did that person do? And we try and find a formula that will help us to recreate the effect again and again and again. Completely ignoring the fact that it's actually a person that's moving and his name is Jesus. It's a person that moves, not a formula or a principle that moves. The Holy Spirit is a person himself. And so I just wanted to gather power. I wanted these principles. If you pray um, so many hours, and if you do this, and if you do that, and if you follow this, and if you follow that, then the power of God, man. Um, You know what it's like? It's like, I don't know if you, as kids, um, we used to walk on, when you have a a carpet, um, you would walk like this without lifting your feet, right? You guys ever do that? Just like, just like walk around. And you're just waiting for someone to come into the room. You're like, you know, sometimes it'll take a while. It's like five minutes. Whoever's going to get this is going to get shocked good and proper. And you're building up all this static charge. And so eventually when they walk in, you kind of shift over to them and you zap them with power. For me, that was what spiritual power was like. That's what I thought. Okay, if I can just pray enough and do enough and, 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 and be committed enough and follow this principle. And the next time somebody asks for prayer, I'm going to zap them. You know what happens when you zap them? Then you need to do it again to get some more power. So I was like, okay, there's more people coming. I need, to, I need to keep doing this. And it didn't always work. It didn't always result in God's power flowing through my life. I always thought that what you needed to do if you wanted God to move in your life is you need to pick your scripture, you need to print it out big, you need to stick it on your wall, and you need to say it every day. And if you do it long enough, what you'll do is that you will tip God's, God's will in your favor. Man, we enlist ourselves on, on, on works programs here like we don't even understand. So speculative. We're like all those explorers, Ah, maybe this is the source of the Nile. We kill ourselves trying to get there. The problem with that whole sticking it on the wall and say the word every day is that you also get taught that if you say one negative word over your situation or over your life, you've also blown it. <laughs> so if you if you like you've built up all this charge, but then you accidentally touch something metal before it was time. And, and it discharges, and now you've lost it. You know, I've I've had people who I've had conversations with people who have lost children who were told it was because they spoke a negative word at one point. This is what people really deal with. And then they go, it's my fault that my child died. Because I wasn't, you know, positive enough. Hey, I believe that there is a God who is way less fickle than we perceive Him to be. And who knows our human weakness. The Bible says He knows our weakness. And if you have a moment of honesty where you break down before God and you're like, I can't do this. I'm so mad. I can't can't understand this. Why is this happening? If if you have a moment with honesty, even if in that time you speak a negative word, I know that God sees our hearts because my faith isn't derived from just some words that I say. Deep down here on the inside of me, even when I complain to God, even when I'm negative at times, deep down in my heart, I still believe he's good and I still believe he's going to move. It's a much deeper faith than just some fickle, okay, if I just say the right thing, it's so, so, again, insecure, so shaky. And let me just be clear this morning, I'm not saying that there's no value in speaking Scripture. I'm not saying that there's no value in reminding yourself of what the Word says about your situation or proclaiming the promises of God. All I'm saying is it's not a formula. It's a person. I'm going to say this again. The principles only have power when they're connected to the person of Jesus. We cannot remove Jesus from the equation. So I found out that my, my godly principles, they, they weren't the source. The next stop I had, the third stop, was divine associations. And what I believed here about this was like, okay, if I keep messing it up, then maybe what I need to do is I need to get to somebody else who seems like they're not messing up quite as often and, and God's power is on their lives, and perhaps some of their power can rub off on me, right? If I can have this divine association, we read these, these random Old Testament scriptures, which is how all of these stops get, get motivated, random Old Testament scripture about the oil that dripped off of Aaron's beard, and we go, you see, if you hang around with the right people, you'll receive their anointing. Like That is a big jump to make. That's a big bridge to cross in terms of making conclusions. And, and our faith, let me just say this very clearly, it's not speculation. Our faith is, is not just a random set of of. of, of Principles of mysticism. Our faith has got some fundamental tenets to them that that exclude everything else. That's what that's what truth is. Truth is is by nature exclusive. People say, well, you, you know, you're, you're, you you can't have say that you've got exclusive truth. Well, what else is truth? If two plus two equals four, it has to exclude five and six and seven right? So truth is exclusive, and, 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 and we deal with truth. We deal with what God proclaims, not just these airy-fairy mystical things. But I used to think that if I connect to the right leaders, and if I serve them really, really well, like Elisha served Elijah, and then as he died, the mantle fell. I was like, if I can serve these people with my every breath, never ask any questions, then hopefully the mantle will fall on my life. The problem is, It's nowhere in the New Testament. If it was so important, why did Paul not say it? He speaks about prayer. He speaks about the laying on of hands. And he speaks about all those kinds of things. But he doesn't say that we get our anointing from anybody else. My grandfather had an anointing. And so for many years, people have said, Adrian's got his grandfather's anointing. I thought, okay, yeah, maybe that's how it works. Maybe that's the source of God's power in our lives. So you need to find a really anointed person, and then you need to hang out with them, serve them, connect your heart to them, and then some of that, you know, God will be gracious enough to pour some of that anointing over onto your life. But here's the thing. I don't have my grandfather's anointing. I have my own anointing. And that anointing didn't come from another person, not another leader, not another pastor, not another family member. It came from Jesus himself. Because when He created me, the Bible tells me that He knew me in the secret place. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He ordained every one of my days before there was even one of them. And Ephesians 2 tells us that He prepared beforehand good works for me to walk in. Nothing to do with anybody else. That's got to do with what God ordained for my life. Your anointing is not dependent upon me. It's not dependent upon uh, your association or your environment. It's dependent upon what God has ordained for your life. That anointing is, is maybe a word if, you, if you're visiting or if you're new to church, you know, might not make sense, but it essentially means God's power on your life. Like his, He's ordained your life for certain things and empowered you to do that. That's what that really means. And so with all of my searching, personal godliness, godly principles, divine associations, I still hadn't found the source of God's power in my life. I couldn't find anything that would cause God to work um, consistently and powerfully through my life. And what I realized is that all of those pastors and all of those preachers and all of those books that had been written by, by different people, trying to define the source of God's power in this way, they still actually couldn't find it either. Even in their own cases, they faced frustration because it didn't always work for them. There was so much guesswork involved and so our faith gets overtaken by superstition. You know, certain things that you eat are more spiritual than other things that you may eat or or if you sleep with worship music on in your room, then the power of God will fill your house and you'll be anointed or, or that you have to anoint with oil everything that you own. Now, I'll be the first one to put my hand up and say, I've done this often. It has to be proper olive oil. It's better if it comes from Jerusalem itself. (laughs) Pay the premium price for this anointing. I take that anointing oil, and I anointed my whole house, and I anointed my car, because God knows if I don't anoint my car, I'm going to be in a car accident. But I've anointed my car. My wife has bumped it every six months, okay? (laughs) It's been better of late, but for a long time. The anointing didn't stop the the accidents. Can you just think about that again? We're talking about a God who is true and holy and pure and full of love. He is love. And then you think he'd let you be in a car accident because you forgot to put olive oil on the windscreen? Like the the devil can just have access to your life because you forgot to follow a set of anointing principles or steps. One year, uh, back in 2007, they broke into our house. Just after Christmas... They broke in, stole all our Christmas gifts. I'm still mad about that. Um, and they they broke into our house, and I got a phone call from a pastor who said to me, "This is what happens when you don't pray all of the time, like not just your prayer times, but all of the time." I was like, "Dear God, how am I going to live? How am I going to have conversations with other people? Because if I stop praying, they're going to steal my Christmas gifts again, right?" These are the things that I've heard. This is the journey that I've been on. It's so speculative and it's not rooted in any form of truth. That if you stop praying for one moment, that that all of a sudden your life is an open door to demons. That if you get involved in the wrong thing for a moment, that somehow now you've opened all of these doors and all the demons can just climb into your house. It's not true. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And yes, the devil can bring attacks against our lives. And yes, there can be strongholds in our mind. And actually, I'm going to talk about that next week um, a little bit more on this topic, but how it relates to spiritual warfare and all the rest. But, but I realized that, that so much of that is just guesswork. And so my favorite saying became, show me that in the Bible. Right? That's a, that's a great question to ask yourself whenever you start getting involved in these speculative spiritual reasonings is, can I just see it in the New Testament? Is it actually just there? Because what I see is I look at the life of Paul and before he sets out on his journey, and let's be clear, no one prayed as much as Paul. No one was as committed as Paul. No one had a a stronger relationship and a stronger understanding of the gospel than Paul. But Paul himself gets warned by the Holy Spirit, hey man, just to let you know, every city you go into, they're going to beat you up they're going to throw you in prison. They're going to try and kill you, but don't worry, I'll help you escape at the end. Only until you get to the last place, then you won't escape. Now, it, for, for many modern-day Christians, if they had gone through all of that, they'd be like, oh, you know, it's because I haven't prayed enough. That's why they threw me in prison. It's because I wasn't, I wasn't following the godly principles. That's why I'm getting beaten up. But God actually said to Paul, hey, this is going to happen. There is going to be a price to pay. There is going to be a tax that will come against you, but don't worry, you will fulfill everything I've called you to do in this life. So my favorite saying is, is, is show me that in the Bible. When Christians come to me and they they tell me that the anointing comes through association and environment, I go, just show me that in the Bible. New Testament, please. Can you just show me where, where it says that? If people say God will only move in your life if you have absolute personal holiness, can you just show me that in Scripture? where God will only move if you're living a perfect life, then God will never, never move. They say the anointing comes through certain types of songs. You know, some, some songs, they just have it. Other songs, they just don't. Can you show me that in Scripture? They say we, we need to set Christians free from from demons and and, and break generational curses and soul ties and close these doors that we've opened and the welcome mats that we've put out to demons. Can you show me that in Scripture? Believers, we know that demonic possession and, and the demonic activity is real, not doubting that it's in Scripture. Jesus confronted demonic power in the lives of unbelievers, but can you show me how Christians can have curses on their lives in Scripture? So just in case you're worried, just to, again, be clear this morning, I love the power of God. I love the move and the work of the Holy Spirit. I've experienced it in and through my own life in a very powerful and a very personal way. And I want the Holy Spirit to be powerfully at work here at Anchor Church. I want to see people, and we've seen it already, but I want to see people healed. I want to see people delivered. I want to see people set free. I want to see the the work of God in and through the life of our church. And I want us to know and have faith in what the Holy Spirit can do in our community. But I want to be equally clear that I am not going to sign up the members of this church to getting onto a spiritual hamster wheel where we have to just hopefully wind up enough energy in this little wheel that we're running on to hopefully get God to do something. We either believe that He is a generous, loving, gracious God who is willing to move in the lives of His people, or we don't. We're not trying to force God's hand here. We're not the ones trying to make God move. God is the one moving us. That's such an important difference. And I also want to say that I'm I'm not talking about the delta here. I'm talking about the source. I'm looking for the source of God's power in our lives. I'm not talking about how we may respond to that, and and, and because I know that there are many ways that God works and, and miracles that He does. Even Jesus's miracles. Uh, very seldom would you find two miracles that ended up in the same way. There was always a different method and a different way and a different result. You know. So I'm not. I'm not saying we can. Our, our lives and our bodies and our, and our and our faith can respond to the work of God in different ways. That's not what I'm disputing. I'm talking about what is the source of God's work. And then God led me to the source of his power. After a long journey, after many stops, after hacking with my machete, my theological machete through the spiritual weeds, (laughs) I finally came to the source of the power of God. And I've been drinking from that source from the moment that I discovered it. And we find it in many different scriptures, but Romans 1 verse 16. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is the truth of the good news of who God is and what He has done for us through the person of Jesus. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That word salvation doesn't just mean the moment you get reborn. It means for the, entitled, the, the, the total, um, all-encompassing restoration and redemption of your life. It's all in the power of the cross and what Jesus has done for us. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, it doesn't matter who you are. The power of God is released, not through laws, not through principles, not through personal holiness, but through the gospel. Faith in what Jesus has done for you your righteousness in God. Some people will say, but that's just for salvation, Adrian. That's not for the work of the Holy Spirit. What about the move of the Spirit? How does that come about? What about healing and deliverance and breakthrough and spiritual warfare? Let's go to Galatians 3 verse 1. Listen to what Paul says here. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That's strong language. Paul's mad, right? He writes this. He's mad. He's pushing a little bit hard with his pen. Who has bewitched you? In other words, who's cursed you? Who's put the spell on your thinking? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In other words, you've seen the cross. You've put your faith in the cross and in what Jesus did for you in the gospel. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Or by hearing with faith? In other words, you saw Jesus. You put your faith in what He did for you. Is that not how you received the Spirit? Or did you receive it by all the good things that you did? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit, now listen to this, because we're talking about miracles and and the work of God, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? How does God move? How does he do miracles? Is it because you followed all the principles and you lived in the godly life? Is it the works of the law that causes God to do those things? Or is it by the hearing of faith? Jesus, publicly crucified in your sight, You, you know him. You know what he's done. Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The miracles, the move of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't come by obeying principles. It comes from the confidence and the faith that we have in what Jesus has done for us on the cross. It comes from, because we also say, oh, you must have faith. But then people go, okay, I want a new car. I see the new car. I sit in the new car. I Oh, this is a great steering wheel of this car. I love this car. That's not faith. Faith is trusting in God's love for you and his presence for your life. And that whatever you need, he is a good father who loves to give. I want to show you one more scripture here. Acts 3, 6 to 16. And this is when Peter and John go uh, to the temple to pray, and they come across a lame man who had been lying there for 40 years at the gate called Beautiful. And, it says, but Pe- and so he, he looks up to them to, waiting to receive. Pe- Peter, Peter says to him, hey, look at us. And he looks up expecting to receive something, and, and Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's, on Solomon's porch. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. So now they've prayed for a man, they've raised him up, he's healed, the power of God has worked. So everybody wants to know, is this the source of the Nile? And they run and they all stand around him, thinking that surely Peter has the secret to the source of God's power. And so he addresses them, and listen to what he says. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? Listen very carefully. As though by our own power or piety, our own power or our own holiness, our own power or our own godliness, this man has been made well. Why do you look at us? It's not my power that caused the work of God to happen, to occur. It's not my piety and how committed I am that caused God to move. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified His servant Jesus. He's telling us what the source of God's power is whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith, in his name. The name of Jesus, what he has done for us, the gospel, has made this man strong. Believing in what Jesus has done, faith in his name, is what has brought this miracle about and the faith that is through Jesus so it's not only in Jesus but it's through Jesus that faith didn't just you didn't just go oh, like when i tell leo show me your muscles he goes oh. that's not how we get faith in Jesus that faith comes through Jesus in our own hearts he he increases our measure of faith the more we hear about what he's done for us by the hearing Our faith grows. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It's not me. Why why are you looking at me? It's not my holiness. I used to think that. I used to watch pastors pray for people and see people get healed and go, that man, he must be so holy because God uses him. Then I found out many of those men live at times very unholy lives and yet God still uses them. God can use imperfect vessels to do His perfect work. He goes, "I have no silver and gold. It's not my money, it's not my currency. I have nothing that I can personally give you, but what I do have is faith in Jesus and that I can use. And I've got to tell you that for me personally, on this journey of discovering the source of the Nile, this gave me so much confidence because I stopped worrying about whether or not I had a good or a bad week and I kept my eyes focused on how good God is and how intent God is on working in people's lives. And so when you come to me and you say, I need prayer, I go, you know what? I believe God wants to answer your prayer. I believe that God wants to step into your situation. I believe that God wants to restore your life. I have no doubt about it anymore and I'm just the vessel through which God can can bring that prayer but he could also bring it through anybody else. So there's confidence now when I pray. I've seen God do way more miracles through my life since discovering the gospel than before. So this is the source of the Nile, the source of God's power in our lives. It's the cross. It's the cross, Jesus and Him crucified. That's why Paul, when he's writing to the church in Corinth, he says, in 2 Corinthians 11.30, he says, if I must boast, I will boast about the things that show my weakness. I just want you to make, I want to make sure everybody knows that nothing that God is doing through my life, He's doing because I'm a strong person. He's doing it because of His grace. I'm a weak person. And so sometimes when people come to me and they say, I need you to pray for me. This is the issue. Then I think to myself, I don't, I don't need to pray for you. I need to share the gospel with you. I need you to know what Jesus actually feels towards you. And One example of this is generational curses. So many people still think that they can be under a curse because something that happened in their family, whether that's cancer or whether it's uh, alcoholism or whether it's w- whatever, that there's some sort of a spiritual curse that can cling to you. So my last scripture this morning, Galatians 3 verse 10, listen to what Paul sp- speaks when it comes to curse because I did this. This is what I did. I said I okay, if people are so worried about curses and we keep having to break them only to find out that we need to break them again six weeks later because apparently people, Christians keep being cursed. Like I need to go to scripture and actually find this. There's only one context for curse in the New Testament. And it says in Galatians 3.10, it says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. So it's not going to help you be righteous before God, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. And what that means is that if you decide to live by the law, then you have to live by all of the law. You can't pick and choose your laws. And if you're guilty of one, the Bible tells us you're guilty of all. In the Old Testament, God brought laws to Israel to make them aware of their sinfulness, and there were curses connected to disobedience and blessings connected to obedience. And what this says is that if you choose to live by the law, you are saying that I then want to fall under the curse if I disobey or break the law. And let me tell you, you'll break them within a day. Several, not just one. So it says, but Christ, the cross, Jesus redeemed us which means brought us back from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. In other words, that as we disobey the law, which we've all done, we should fall under the curse. But then Jesus took our place and became a curse for us. And so there is no more curse for us as believers. All that there is, is the blessing of Abraham. Not because we've been obedient, but because Jesus was obedient in our stead. So we live according to the blessing of Abraham. When somebody comes, Adrian, I'm I'm under a generational curse, you just need to break it. I go, no, what you need is the gospel. What you need is to know what Jesus has done for you on the cross. This is why the Nile was turned into blood. It's only the blood of Jesus that can bring about the power of God in our lives. It's only the blood of Jesus that can release the fullness of God's promises into our lives. It's the cross. It's free through faith. It's the grace of God. It's the source of the Nile. And it's the hope that we have. You might have been wondering, how is God going to move in my life? He's going to move because He's good and because He loves you. And there's no other reason. So let's fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. Amen. Next week I'm gonna talk a little bit about how this relates to strongholds and demonic attacks and spiritual warfare and all of the rest, just to just to talk about this together a little bit um, as a church and, and hopefully you'll be encouraged by that as well. But let's go ahead and pray together this morning.